I'm here today with um, Dawn from the uh, Whiskey Exchange. Um, we're going to be talking about all things drink related. So, um, Dawn, can you tell us how you first got into the drinks industry? So, like most of us that sort of get into this industry, I kind of fell into it. Um, I was working in university uh, in a pub to fund my Guinness drinking habit, which my father was totally not prepared to pay for. And just really, really loved working in that environment. I loved working with the customers. I enjoyed sort of learning about the, the different products, even though I was in a not basic pub, but you know, like not nothing sort of too high end. It was a nice hotel bar. And I just, you know, just really, really enjoyed it. So then I decided to go traveling as one does when one leaves university. And uh, I went to a restaurant in Sydney called Tetsuya Wakuda's. And that's kind of, I guess, where I had my epiphany moment. Um, amazing restaurant. And there was this absolutely stunning wine and food matching. And I thought, my God, this is what I want to do. This is so interesting. And I found out that Tetsuya was opening in London. So I, with no experience on waitressing at all, went in um, when I got back to London and said, I really want to work with you guys. I love what you do. Do you have a job? And the guy, a guy called Michael Gore, turned around and looked at me and said, mm, you have no experience. I was like, no, but I'm, really, I'm a really good learner and I want to do this and blah, blah, blah. And he sort of called me up a month later and said, do you know, we've got a job for you. So that's how it all started. Um, I started waitressing. The sommelier there at the time was a woman called Nabucco Okamura. And she essentially was the one that got me into wine, um, just by doing tastings with her. And she encouraged me more and more and more. So when I went to Zuma with her, um, as just again as a head waitress, when she left there, she just took over the wine list uh, as head sommelier because they didn't have anyone else. So I've been very, very lucky um, to just be in the right place at the right time. But you know, it was, it's all been a bit of kind of. Uh, a bit of luck and a bit of love and a bit of hard graft but yeah that's how I got into it. So Dawn could you tell us how you found the um, making the move from wine um, into spirits? So it was, a, it was a really tough one, I mean, I, but I kind of had like a mid-period of sort of doing it, so, um, you know, I was a sommelier for about eight years working in various restaurants and I loved it, you know, I ended up running the library, um, which was fantastic. And then sort of less elaborate because after sort of doing 90 hours a week for about eight years, it kind of gets to you. And I just didn't really know what to do with myself. And one of my old customers was a guy called Ewan Venters, who was at the time the food and drinks, um, um, head of food and drinks for Selfridges, director. And he said, do you want to come work for us? And I was like, oh my God, yeah, why not? You know, let's, uh, Selfridges, you know, an amazing place. And at the time, that's the, the spirit and wine section for them was quite small and they were sort of redoing it and making it a big focus. So I kind of had to learn spirits there. And that's where I sort of started getting more interested and, and meeting more people in the industry that were spirits as opposed to wine. I'd always liked spirits and, you know, I'd always have quite good lists when I was working in restaurants, but that's when I actually was starting to really sort of buy and learn. So I was doing wine and spirits there. So there was sort of a bit of a kind of in-between phase when I was doing both. And then after doing nine years at Selfridges, I thought, do you know what, I need a bit of a change. And Sakinda kind of approached me, Sakinda and Rajbir approached me to be the buyer for a whiskey exchange. And I thought, I did say to them at the time, I'll come, but I have to be able to do wine and champagne as well, because I just can't get with that, but it's my passion, it's what I love to do. Um, so I miss wine a lot. I am doing wine here. Like we just recently won decanters, a champagne retailer of the year, and we have one of the largest champagne um, uh, sort of lists online. 
and I am doing a bit more wine because you know there's a natural fit for people that want to buy sort of top end whiskies and top end spirits are naturally going to be interested in wine. Um, you know, people who like the things like the things across categories. So you know, haven't quite sort of left it behind, but I do miss. I do miss sort of the, the sort of the differences within wine, and you know, you can taste five different cans from the same region, and they're totally different. Um, spirits is quite different in that respect it's not so much about terroir it's about producers and but it is an amazing industry as well and, and something I love doing is learning and you know this has been another rapid learning phase for me uh, so I think it's kind of a it's been I'm starting to get as passionate with certain categories of spirits like I'm obsessed with rum and I'm obsessed with mezcal and tequila you know in the same way as I was sort of obsessed with wine but wine will never never leave me because it's it's sort of where I started and you know probably be where I finished. Well, some of the key skills that a sommelier needs and how do you hone those skills over time? I don't really, when I read that question I was like hmm that's an interesting one I mean the one thing I always say when I was sort of training up sommeliers sort of back in the day was the one thing that makes a great sommelier is you have to be the best psychiatrist in the world or psychologist because you have to be able to go to a table and in two three minutes of talking to a customer know exactly what they want to drink understand you know who they are in order to give them the best drink of the drink that's most suited to their table or their group or their likes and desires and you know it's the skill of a sommelier a very good sommelier um to to kind of understand what the customer wants without maybe the customer giving them full information and listening i, I think listening is one of the key skills because what i find nowadays more and more is that sommeliers want to give me what they like not what I want to drink and I think you know that's something that back in the day we used to do a lot of and I think that's something that I always say to people you know you've got to be able to listen and really understand your customer to be sort of top of the range of course you need great knowledge and you need to have a good palace and things but actually you can what you really need is that engagement piece with the customer because you can put the best wineness in the world together but if you can't sell to your customers and create an experience for them that they enjoy well a great wine this isn't going to help you at all um, and I think you know in terms of sort of knowledge and, and, and sort of tasting sort of palate and developing that I think that just happens naturally over time you've got to put in the time and the effort to want to learn and understand and you know I always said to people I didn't have the best knowledge as a sommelier I actually got more of my knowledge about kind of the back end of wine like the technical side of wine and things when I when I left sort of sommelier and I started to do my master of wine but you know, what I did do is I tasted a lot and I really tried to understand, you know, quality, you know, being able to assess quality, I think is a key, key skill. And now one sort of transferred well into my spirits sort of um, background, well, my spirit buying. And what's interesting, a lot of the wine suppliers, I, you know, I've tasted with over 20 years, actually said that my palate has gotten better since I've gone spirits. And I, you know, my tasting notes are much more detailed on wine now. Um, it's quite interesting, I think, you know, I, I encourage all sommeliers to learn about spirits as much as I encourage all bartenders to learn about wine, because I think it can teach you both a, a lot in both sort of sectors of the, of the industry. Do you think there's a real trend towards the low, no alcohol um, movement that we're seeing, or is it just something that gets more publicity around dry January? And I think definitely with Learn No, there is growth. I think what we're finding is that people want to drink smarter, 
you know, if they want to drink maybe less but better quality, and I think people are looking for alternatives. I don't, you know, I think people just, if you go to a bar and, and you, you're not drinking because you're driving or what have you, you don't want to just drink Coca-Cola or soft drinks because after a time it gets too sweet and, you know, everyone else is enjoying a gin and tonic or whatever. So, you know, I think there is a good argument for low and no, and I think it is definitely an area that is growing. I mean, 100%. I think the issue is surrounds, especially with no alcoholic drinks, and is there needs to be some legislation or there needs to be some control by the industry over it because there is a lot of really bad product coming out and product that's saying it's non-alcoholic but and it's a non-alcoholic spirit. It's not a spirit if it hasn't been distilled, so it shouldn't be called a spirit. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot of sort of product that's just water with some acid, acid added and some flavorings and they're not good quality. I think everyone's just jumping on the bandwagon and what really needs to happen is us controlling as buyers the market and really just saying, actually, no, this is terrible. Just don't, don't produce it. And actually really promoting the ones that are doing good jobs. You know, I think Acorn has done a very, very good job. Seedler's done a very good job. But what we're seeing is that bartenders want to buy a lot of these no and low, but actually the sales are still very much on the ones that have done it well in the first place. And we're not really seeing culture on all, all category brands. But I think, you know, that will change and that'll kind of, it's like anything, you know, like, I think the problem is, is when you get people, everyone rushing to the market to produce something, because maybe some other area of their sales aren't going well, e.g. gin, you know, I think there's a risk that you get poor quality on the market and that will eventually turn off the consumer. So I think the question is, is this a short-term trend or a long-term trend? And I think with all the terrible product on the market, it's more likely to be a short-term trend. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I think it's it's an interesting category. I think what we will find is people want, you know, people have been moving towards lower alcohol uh, in wine and then and looking at more of the simple serves and spirits or long drinks. I think that's where the trend will be really solidified. I'm not sure if these no-alcoholic products will have, except for the ones that are doing it well, mm. um, any longevity. So, um, Dawn, do you think there are, that some spirits are more popular with women than with men? Um, you know, is this a sales thing or is it just like a, you know, a thing that people think, oh, women love gin and men love whiskey? I think there is, you know, like any any kind of perception, there is some truth in it always, you know, whether it's a small little bit of truth or a big bit of truth, there's always something in it because, you know, you do see, for example, with whiskey, more men drinking whiskey. And, we, you know, we really want to engage women and get mm. women into the category. But there definitely is a lean to towards men whether it's because women don't feel comfortable going into like a whiskey show or things like that i don't know but i think it's a lot to do with perception of sort of this, this kind of old school ideas that are still there and you know i think especially with the brown spirits versus white spirits there probably is a high proportion of women drinking gin and vodka so mm. a proportion of women drinking whiskey and rum and i think it's, it's our job as as educators to really bring women into the category because there's no reason why a woman wouldn't like a whiskey or a rum mm. but a lot of you know when I have couples coming into the shop a lot of the times the woman's like oh no I no, I don't you know I, I wouldn't like it and I think it's because they haven't been you know they're maybe afraid to try it or they think they have an image in their head of what it is you know I've often given women 
So something like Glamour Energy or something softer and easier just to start. Like I would, even with a man coming into the industry, I wouldn't just jump them into the Freud. I would get them into something a bit softer and lighter. And, and I think it's maybe that just that fear factor um, with women in different spirits and, and having a little bit of less confidence to kind of walk into what is always being perceived as a very male category. Mm. Um, and I think that's that's the case more than it's the women wouldn't like whiskey. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's more the case of that actually it, it's been a it's a perception that's sort of been reiterated over the years. And you know whether it's kind of well, my, oh my father drank that, my mother drank that, you know, and and it's what we learn um, throughout our kind of growing up and, and things. So I think there's a lot more work being done. I think a lot more women are getting excited and interested in drinks category which for me is really exciting and and i think they are becoming more adventurous and i've seen over the years that we do um, an amazing show called whiskey show um, every year which we have like over three thousand people coming in over a couple of days and every year i see more and more women and that's what makes me excited there's still too many men <laughs> but definitely more women so and i think it, that's that's up to having you know also more people more women in the industry who are you know leaders in the industry and and who can let women know that you know this is not a male-dominated industry it's an industry where there's equal opportunities for both and and i think the more kind of people you see on tv and things talking that are women talking about spirits um the better that's going to be for the category to me at least there seems to be no end to the various craft gins on the market um, do you see whiskey or, or, or darker drinks undergoing a similar um, craft movement? So, absolutely. I mean, I, I, if I see another gin on my desk, I, I, I mean, right now I'm just delisting gin by the second because there's just too many and customers aren't brand loyal and so the sales aren't really there. They're there for the category, mm. but not for brand. So you're sitting on stock for a long time and, you know, I just think there's just too many now. Mm. And half of them aren't even craft anyway because they're mm. all coming out of two or three distilleries. So I think, you know, this term craft is very dangerous um, sometimes because it gives a perception of something that's homemade, that's crafted, you know, it's small batch. And a lot of these are literally just made to recipe with some of the big distillers. Not that I have a problem with that, but, you know, I think there's a misconception around gin that if we're not careful, translate into into whiskey and brown spirits. And, you know, I'm seeing it now in the rum market. Um, So people that were making gin suddenly are panicking because their sales aren't going in the right direction so they're now making spiced rum well it's not a small batch spiced rum because you've bought everything from a big company in terms of liquid you've blended it maybe spiced it but you know i think the consumer is also wanting more traceability in product and more awareness of what where the products come from and i think all these small guys that are pretending to be well people that are pretending to be small are actually going to get a little bit smacked by the consumer on this because actually it's a little disingenuous and i think with whiskey the problem is is you need to at least leave the whiskey in barrel for three years. So it's not a quick process. So these small companies is much, much harder for the whiskey because of that. Mm. What we're seeing in Ireland now is a really dangerous trend because again, all these Irish distillers are popping up and while they're waiting for their distillers to be built, they're buying in bulk and just blending and all the products are the same, same because it's mm. again coming from two people. So yes, there is a movement to this idea of craft, but most of the time it's actually not craft at all. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, you've, with brown spirits, it's probably harder to do than, say, a gin, you know. Like most gin producers might kill me for saying that, but it's definitely harder to balance product and get the product 
100% correct in terms of engaging with brown spirits potentially than with with white so I think that limits it and the, the amount of time that um, it takes to produce but we are 100% sure seeing more and more small distilleries popping up all over the UK and, and the world in fact actually uh, you know we've seen a real resurgence or a real um, sort of increase in small distillers in America in, in Europe and in Australia so you know whilst it's great for the industry I think it's again the buyers have to be very strict and say no, we're not going to just buy everything, we're going to get by quality just to really kind of keep that growth in check a little bit. What are some of the events that you're most proud of or, or which do you feel have made the um, the biggest impact um, either on yourself or on, or on the industry? Um, so I think probably sort of going back in the day um, when I was at Selfridges we did Pierre Kaufman's pop-up on the roof. Um, Pierre Kaufman came out of retirement to do this with us and I managed it and I ran the, the thing for um, for the restaurant side itself as restaurant manager for basically it was meant to be three days and then turned into about two months and I was hugely proud of that because that was such a labour of love and it was amazing working with all those incredible chefs and, and, and my staff were fantastic and it was really hard to do but it was amazing and I think you know Whiskey Show last year was probably my the, probably the event I've been most proud of here I mean the Champagne Show you know, we set up, it was, it was my idea to do, it was that, I'm always going to be proud of because that was something that was sort of a bit smaller and petite, but Whiskey Show is so huge, and I lost my events team sort of halfway through the year, um, and basically had to kind of, with one other lady, had to kind of really run it ourselves and really get it on board, and I was just so proud of it because it was the most profitable, the most successful Whiskey Show we've ever done. And, you know, I think I felt a real sense of achievement. It did kill me, but I had a real sense of achievement around it because it was just like the, the buzz you get from doing an event and doing it well is, is second to none, you know. It's like going on stage. Um, and it, it, it just the look on people's faces, their enjoyment, you know, when you're in it, you're exhausted and you just keep going, keep going. And, but actually the achievement you feel is, is, is there's, nothing, there's nothing like it. And, you know, I think we, we always try and make each show a bit better and a bit different. And now we have four shows per year and we're looking to add maybe one more. So we have Old and Rare, we have Cognac Show, Champagne Show, of course, Whiskey Show. And then we're looking to try and do one on sort of aperitifs and vermouths. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I think we're always looking for something new and interesting to do and, and you know and I think that's something we all enjoy and, and definitely Whiskey Show this year was my uh, one of my proudest moments. Have you found any particular advantages to being a woman in the drinks industry? It's a really interesting question. Um, I, I kind of never really considered myself a woman in the industry. I always just consider myself a person in yeah. the industry that was doing whatever I could. When I first started in the industry, there was only about six female sommeliers mm. in London or in the UK. So maybe that did open more doors because I was more visible, because there was a lot of PR around it. And, yeah. You know, I think people wanted to work with, you know, it was seen as something quite different and special being a woman. Um, so yeah, maybe uh, that may have helped me kind of rise to the industry and and or get myself self on the, the, the ladder. Um, but I don't think. I've ever thought I'm a woman that gives me an advantage. Mm. I think I think I've always looked at other skills I've had and said that's why I've got an advantage. You know, like I'm I can be absolutely hardcore or I can be your best friend. And you know, and I think 
I've always felt that maybe it's my personality, not maybe my gender, mm. that has allowed me to progress. And, you know, the more and more I, I, I kind of look at sort of masculine and feminine roles, the more I say I shouldn't be judged on anything bar being a great buyer or a shit buyer. You know, it's, <laughs> it's one or the other. It's, it's nothing, it's nothing about, nothing I do. Okay, look, potentially women are better tasters. I think there is maybe some truth in that. Yeah. Uh, so yes, maybe I can understand the nuances of things a little bit better. Um, but is that scientifically proved? No, it's not scientifically proved. I just, you, you know, it's one of those kind of things out there that they say women are better tasters. Um, so no, I don't think I would say I found any advantages being a woman in the drinks industry, but actually equally, I've found very rarely that there's any disadvantages. Right. And I think that's very positive yeah. in, a, in an industry that it could be perceived as being yeah. very male-dominated. I've never, okay, looks the odd little thing, but actually as a general rule, I've always found being a woman doesn't make a difference. It, I'm just dawn, I'm just a buyer. And, mm -hmm. and I think that is encouraging for, for this industry. Dawn, what's the biggest thing that you know now that you wish you could have told um, your younger self? Um, probably to pay more attention in my maths lessons. <laughs> <laughs> because my maths is terrible to this day. <laughs> and it's something that's fairly crucial as a buyer. Um, but yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons you learn along the way. And, and whether it's, you know, really appreciating the opportunities I had when I was younger, working with some of the most amazing people in the world. You know, I, I got to work with some of the top chefs, you know, out there. And, you know, I did appreciate the time, but you're a little bit blasé about it in a funny way. You know, you, you, you kind of like, yeah, okay, I know this person, this person, this person. I think maybe I would have said, look, you know, really enjoy those times. And I did enjoy them, but, you know, you're just in it and you're, you're yeah. kind of just... And I, I think, you know, probably my younger self, I probably would have told to, you know, not party quite so much. <laughs> I'd probably tell my older self that as well. So <laughs> that's relevant. But yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've enjoyed learning throughout my life. And I think you, if you stop learning, then you might as well just give up. And, you know, I think I could tell my younger self a lot of things, but actually it's been all part of learning and growing and developing. So I, actually probably just the maths thing, really. <laughs> That's brilliant, Dawn. Thank you very much. Um... My pleasure.